get more of the backstory on our Patreon page with exclusive interviews, outtakes, and the Lost Controversial Backstory Podcast you can only get here. Support on the Backstory Bonus Level. Welcome to the Backstory Podcast. This is Colby Cole. So let's get to this episode. The original GOAT. You see GOAT, which stands for greatest of all time, kind of thrown around a lot, whether it's Jordan or Jay-Z, but the original GOAT was LL Cool J. See, for me as an actor, it just gives me an opportunity to live a lot of different lives, do a lot of different things, not be, you know, the same person over and over again, day in and day out. It gives me an education. Like, one minute I'm diving off the coast of Mexico with sharks. The next minute I'm riding trial Michael motorcycles up and down mountains. Right. The next minute I'm a crime lord. Right. In, in a project. In a, right. Uh, you know, the, the next thing, I'm, you know, it's, I just get to do so many different things mm-hmm. and live so many different lives. And that's real fulfilling mm-hmm. as a human being. Throughout my radio career, I did a lot of interviews with LL. And coming up later in this podcast, you'll hear one of my favorite interviews. I'm a first-generation hip-hop head, literally from the start. And hip-hop influenced me to be on the radio. So my parents were both from Philly and got married and then moved to New York and had me. Then they got divorced when I was two, and my mom moved back to Philly. So I was kind of living back and forth between Philly and New York. So I would go to school and live most of the school year in Philadelphia, but on weekends, holidays, and every summer, I would spend in Harlem with my dad. New York City in the late 70s and early 80s was a grimy, hard-nosed place to be. But the creative energy was unlike anything I ever experienced up to that point in my life. And out of that energy, hip-hop was born. As hip-hop started in New York City, you could see it and feel it on the streets daily. We originally lived in an apartment in Spanish Harlem off 110th and 1st Avenue. It was a nice community. A lot of folks lived in this uh, development that we lived in. But we later moved to 143rd and Broadway and bought a brownstone. This was like the early 80s, and we had the coolest stoop on 143rd Street. You could literally sit on my stoop. You could see and hear everything up and down the block. Our neighbor, a few houses down, was a young, struggling actor. You may have heard of him. His name is Samuel Jackson. Hey, if you don't know who I am, you're at the wrong f***ing place. New York also had great radio stations and personalities. I was feeling hip-hop on the streets and were religiously listening to Red Alert and Chuck Chill Out on Friday and Saturday nights, plus Mr. Magic's Rap Attack. They all inspired me to want to be on the radio. But overall on the stations, I felt that the DJs, were older and more R&B-focused, and it wasn't as authentic when it came to hip-hop. I famously remember hearing a hard-bottom DJ. That was my impression of normal DJs on the radio outside of the hip-hop shows. The hard-bottom DJ was just a DJ that played a lot of R&B music, and so they wore hard-bottoms because they would wear dress shoes, and that was like the kind of the vibe of the club scene at that time for people that liked R&B music. I remember this DJ, can't remember his name, But he played Summertime by Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince and compared the Fresh Prince to Rakim. Who the f*** is this asshole? And that was in 91. So back in the mid-80s, it was worse, but it wasn't their fault. It was just two different worlds of music styles colliding. You had the hard-bottom shoe crowd versus the sneaker and Lee Jeans crowd. It wasn't necessarily young versus old because many in the older generation embraced hip-hop, but it was clearly something different. And there weren't really a lot of artists in the beginning, but of the ones that were around, they were really dominant. I mean, like the Sugar Hill Gang, the Soul Sonic Force, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, Curtis Blow, Houdini, the Disco Three, but you may know him as the Fat Boy. 
voice. As a kid being exposed to all this new and exciting music, most of the artists' rhymes were amazing and relatable, but when you would see them, it was more gimmick than what a normal B-boy around the way would look like. For instance, the Furious Five and the Soul Sonic Force wore these elaborate costumes. That was their gimmick, sort of rapping village people, and I mean that with no disrespect. I had a unique perspective by living in both New York City and Philly and what I saw around me. Young brothers and sisters didn't dress like these groups. That quickly changed in the spring of 1983. One group that changed the perception with one 12-inch and two amazing singles, It's Like That and Sucker MCs, was Run DMC. They immediately resonated with a b-boy or girl. The Sucker MC beat was simple and intoxicating. Like, you could literally just sit there and listen to the instrumental for hours. You could create your own rhymes in your head. It was just, it was just a special beat. It was a special to listen to that. And I love to hear the DJs cut that beat up. Run DMC was rap's first supergroup, but they were the most relatable artists to me. At the time, I was 14, and again, living between Philly and New York, street fashion was everything. Lee jeans, Adidas sneakers with fat laces, folding your arms in the b-boy stance, and never smiling. Run DMC were more than cool, and for the first time, you could see yourself in them. All black leather blazers. They were like the cool dudes around the way whose music was on point. Everybody was talking about this group, whether you lived in the Bronx, whether you lived in Manhattan, and as it resonated up and down the East Coast. Their first three albums were classic, and they weren't from Harlem or the Bronx either. They were from Queens. And my perception of Queens during that time was that's where people who had a little money would move to. You could get a house, you could get some grass, jump on the Long Island Railroad, not the subway. Um, during that time, my brother, my older brother, dated a girl in Hollis, and we used to go out there, and it was not like the concrete jungle of Manhattan in the Bronx. So anyway, back to Run DMC. They were very relatable to me from a b-boy perspective, but they were like my big brothers. And then in 84, I heard this song. I Need a Beat was just like Sucker MCs, a very simple beat, but you would get lost in it listening. I mean, listen to this lyric. I'm in the center of a musical Skinner. Some say the skins is a blow of torture. They hear me. They fear me. They hear me. They fear me. I'm improving the conditions of the rap industry. It was a 16-year-old MC. I was 15 at the time and just excited to hear somebody like me rapping on the radio. I was instantly intrigued. Finally, an artist that I could relate to. In the early 80s, all of the New York rappers would come to Philly first to expose their music. Lady B was a Philly icon on the radio, and she had a show called Street Beat where all she played was hip-hop. Every kid in Philly would be locked in. We didn't have the internet or streaming. You got your fix once a week, and you recorded it on cassette on your boombox. That was the life of a 15-year-old kid in Philly. At the time, there was a club in Philadelphia called After Midnight. It was in the basement of an office building downtown where the convention center in Philly now stands on Cherry Street. It was very dangerous, like one way in and out. But this was hip hop central for the Philadelphia rap community. And Lady B was the center of the universe of this energy. She was initially on an AM station, but due to her popularity, an FM station picked her up and put her show on prime time Sunday afternoons so all of us could hear it. And I recall LL being on a show one Sunday afternoon. He was in town to celebrate his birthday at After Midnight, and he did an epic freestyle that seemed to go on forever. Lady B would play this on her show all the time because, of course, as a kid, I couldn't get into After Midnight. But I remember this line from the rhyme. 
Forget Oreos, eat Cool J cookies. Like that, y'all. Like that, y'all. Like that of the that. I like that, y'all. Because I'm looking for a battle, seeking out all rookies. Forget Oreos, eat Cool J cookies. Living on my line, John's order, got the sign. Inferior fans, we quarter, I'm a rhyme. Perfect spectator, while I'm the dominator, you rely on it, refine it, you save it for later. Swipe it as you type it, you recite it as you write it, then you claim it as your own. To get them excited about it. I decided you don't tell them how you got it. And you would be a rock. Repeat it and rock it, multiply it, divide it, you even sit inside it, it's cool J's rhyme, I know you wanna bite it, you announce, but I pounce, destroy annihilate, if you break, you be straight, when I eliminate, you're the lovers, then I take a fake of lovers up the lake, a simulator, rock trader, perfect perpetrator, to see it as I write the words you think I never heard, monkey on my back, try to tell us what you lack, you pack my rap, put the snacks in my trap, I'm facing also taste, and it runner out the place, riders on the streets, for a weapon I will reach, unfortunately, a security breach, like this song, it's like this show. It's like it is. So party people in the place tonight. If you're feeling alright and you're out of sight, say ho. Say ho, ho. Now I'ma dedicate this rhyme to my favorite street. You'll think about it every time that you hear this beat. Any other jam you hear, this is regard. This is the national anthem of the Bulldog Bar. See, I'm loyal to the bully. It taught me the deal. Certainly the place to be. And that's how I feel. Cause creative from his bully. And me cool J. And the center of it all is the Q3A. One time. One time, one time. Yo, give me some water. LL was now my favorite rapper. And I would dream of being on the radio and playing his music and interviewing him one day. So let's fast forward later in 1985. He drops a song called I Can't Live Without My Radio. The first verse was me. My radio, believe me, I like it loud. I'm the man with a box that can rock the crowd. Walking down the street to the hardcore beat while my JVC vibrates the concrete. I'm sorry if you can't understand, but I need a radio inside my hand. Don't mean to offend other citizens, but I kick my volume way past 10. I can laugh about it now. That explained my existence as a young B-boy in 1985. Always being told that my music was too loud. Why do you walk around with that radio? Why do you have those laces? Blah, blah, blah. And so we was vibing to LL. But later that fall, the perfect hip-hop movie arrived, Crush Groove. This was a movie loosely about Run DMC and the beginnings of Def Jam and Russell Simmons. In fact, Blair Underwood played Russell Simmons, Sheila E. was his girl, but all the other rappers played themselves. So Run DMC, the Beastie Boys, even New Edition was in this movie. Every kid that loved hip-hop music went to go see Crush Groove. It was a classic, but there was one scene that had Run DMC, Rick Rubin, and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in it. By the way, Dr. Jekyll is the legendary label executive Andre Harrell, who started as an artist, but Andre Harrell went on to not be an artist anymore, and he worked with Russell Simmons at Def Jam, then left to start his own label, Uptown Records, and he was responsible for Heavy D, Albie Shore, Guy, Joe C, Mary J. Blige, and he was the one that gave Puff Daddy... And that's what we called him. Y'all might call him Diddy now, but back then it was Puff Daddy. Andre Harrell gave him that internship. And Puff, who was a student at Howard University in D.C., would take the train back and forth between New York and D.C. for this internship. And this was really the birth of Bad Boy. So let me take you back to this scene. Again, Andre Harrell was a legend in the making at this time. So he's in the scene with Rick Rubin and Run DMC, and they're auditioning this awful R&B singer, and they're all praising her like she's great, that they're going to sign her. As she leaves the room, Jam Master J yells out, 
No more auditions. But barging in simultaneously is LL Cool J and two goons with a boombox. Jay stands up like he's grabbing heat. Yo, I said no more auditions. What are y'all, stupid? DMC tells him to chill. Rick Rubin tries to be the peacemaker and tells LL that the auditions are over. LL ignores them and just says, box. This scene was loosely based on LL's audition with Rick Rubin, who was running Def Jam with Russell Simmons out of Rick's NYU dorm room in 1984. LL was now a major star. A few weeks after the release of the movie Crush Groove, which ended up being an astounding success, on November 18, 1985, LL releases his debut classic album, Radio. I remember rushing home from school. I was in 11th grade, and I got off the bus at Shelton and Germantown Ave to rush over to the Sound of Germantown to cop that cassette. This album was the blueprint of where I was in life at that time. Schools, girls, hip-hop, fun, drama. One of the songs on the album that stood out immediately was Dear Yvette. And Dear Yvette was like a bunch of guys talking in the locker room at school. One of the lyrics that stood out in this song, I'm glad you ain't my sister then again if you was. I'd have to treat you like you was my distant cuz. I'm not a news reporter. I don't mean to assume. What should I think? I seen you coming out the men's bathroom. What's crazy is at that time in my school, there was a mini scandal. A popular guy in school was messing around with this girl and she was performing a sex act on him, and the biggest mouth in the school happens to walk up on them. What made this scandal worse was the girl had a boyfriend at the school. I felt bad for him. I also felt bad for her because everybody was so mean to her. But meanwhile, the guy who was being serviced was made out to be a hero. That was the Dear Yvette song. So anyway, back to the LL album. There were so many great songs on this album. I can give you more. Then there was Your Rock. The beats to start this was so hard. And then, of course, the classic, Rock the Bells. LL's debut album was a tremendous success, and his popularity was different from Run DMC. Not only was he good with the guys, but he was the first teen rap star with sex appeal. The girls loved LL just like they loved New Edition. He was a star. Radio went platinum. His second album, Bigger and Deffer, came out in the summer of 1987, led by Bad and I Need Love. Bigger and Deffer went triple platinum. It was right around that time I just started my radio career as L was dropping Bigger and Deffer. And during that period after that, he was challenged by Kumo D in 1987. It was one of rap's first beefs. Kumo D had success as a solo artist, and he dropped a song, How You Like Me Now, famously saying, I'm bigger and better, forget about being deafer, which was a slap at the Bigger and Deffer album. Cool felt that LL kind of took his style. But the thing about LL was, he was a competitor, and he clapped back with a classic, Jack the Ripper, and famously says, How You Like Me Now, punk. You living foul. Here's what my game is. Kills what my aim is. A washed up rapper needs a washer. Then Kumo D clap back with Let's Go. So tell me, how do you feel about Jack the Ripper? And in this one, he was trying to do this thing with the L's. LL stands for lower level, lackluster, last least, limp lover, lousy, lame, latent, lethargic, lazy lemon. You get the point. Most people will tell you LL won this battle handedly. He would be challenged again by a newer artist years later. But LL wasn't no punk, and he loved a challenge. And I think that's what a lot of people liked about him. Our paths crossed for the first time in 1989. He had just released his third album, Walking with the Panther, and was headlining a huge tour. And I was producing the night show at the station where I was working, and he came in for an interview. I want to shout out the legendary Daryl Brooks and Carol Kirkendall, 
who had a company called G Street Express. And they promoted all the big hip-hop concerts at that time. They were based on the East Coast, but they were like the main promoter that moved these tours around the country. Carol was tough as nails. She was a white woman surrounded by a lot of black men, and anyone who tried to get over on her would be shut down. I recall a member of De La Soul's entourage being disrespectful to her, and she kicked the guy off the tour. And she didn't have somebody do it for her. She did it herself. This particular night, LL comes to the station for an interview, and he wasn't really that into it. It was a subpar interview, and he left the studio, and next thing you know, Daryl and Carol cornered him and made him come back and do it again. The second interview was much better, and we took an epic photo that day. I had on a Batman shirt, and I was holding my reel-to-reel, and L had an undershirt on and a Bucket Kango hat. The Panther album did okay. It went platinum, but considered a disappointment after the triple platinum Deffer album. LL was also losing that respect with the fan base. Kudos to him, though. He saw he needed to change things up, so he connected with fellow Queens hip-hop legend Marley Maul, and they put together a masterpiece. Mama said knock you out. Led by the title track, and don't call it a comeback. This was his best album, in my opinion. That signature Marley sound, intoxicating beats. It was smooth and clean, yet gritty and bold, if that makes any sense. I mean, booming system, the classic round the way girl, the amazing rhyme skills of Eat 'em Up L and Cheesy Rat Blues. One of my favorites on the album, too, was Milky Cereal. And then there was Jingling Baby. Now, originally, Jingling Baby was on the Walking with the Panther album. It was the last single from that album. But Molly Maul did a remix of Jingling Baby, remix, but still jingling. That was so hot and so amazing that they ended up putting it on the Mama Said Knock You Out album. You get the picture. This was a great album and amazing visuals. The videos that LL would do, you could tell that they put time and energy into them. He was always a visual artist. LL was back and better than ever. Hip-hop was growing at a rapid pace. I always say that the 90s was a renaissance period for the genre. And even though hip-hop had expanded out of New York City and mainly to the West Coast, and there was a lot of success coming out of the West Coast with N.W.A., Eazy-E, Dr. Dre, L.L. still rep for the East and was one of the biggest artists out. He never got involved with politics or East Coast, West Coast. He was well-respected everywhere, probably because he also acted and had a general market appeal. L.L. was clearly the GOAT. But as we all know, hip-hop is an unforgiving sport. You can be the hottest guy one day, then you're irrelevant the next day. Trying to stay relevant is the hardest part of hip-hop. Most of the artists that started when LL did faded, but he was getting stronger than ever with each project. It was now 91, and I was on the radio with my show Radioactive in Philadelphia, so I played a lot of LL because I was always a fan. Still riding with Molly Maul, his next album was called 14 Shots to the Dome. And in 93, he continued with this new sound he created with Molly. My personal favorite on the 14 Shots to the Dome album was Pink Cookies in a Plastic Bag Getting Crushed by Buildings. It's a brilliant song. It was a metaphor for sex where he incorporated the names of all of the hip-hop artists and groups at that time to tell the story. The video is a must-see. The original was dope. But the remix was ridiculous. Another gem off of that album for me was Funkadelic Relic. Molly Maul was a serious producer. And during this time, Molly put out another group called the Lords of the Underground. They had the same sound. I love this era for Molly. So LL dropped several albums after 14 shots. And during this period, my career was growing. 
I was doing Radioactive during the 90s, but towards the end of the decade, I was promoted to Nights, then Morning Drive. I did a show in Philly called The Dream Team that I co-hosted with Wendy Williams. Like I mentioned earlier, I interviewed LL several times, but this particular day was one of my best LL interviews. So let me paint the picture. It was 2000, and LL had been in several movies. He was still a very relevant artist. He put out a shiny suit era album called Phenomenon in 1997, which didn't do so well. People thought he finally slipped up. He was living in Hollywood, an entire different place to be than New York for a hip-hop artist. So you can imagine how he would react to being criticized by a young, up-and-coming artist named Cannabis. So on the Phenomenon album, LL had a song called 4321 that featured DMX, Meth, and Redman. All of them were hot at that time. And he let Cannabis get a shot on this track. For an up-and-coming artist, this was a big deal to be down with an icon like LL. On his verse, Cannabis said, L, is that a mic on your arm? Let me borrow that. LL took offense on the same track and came back at Cannabis. This has never really happened before. So, as the story goes, LL told Cannabis he would have to change his lyrics to stay on his track. And to Cannabis's credit, he changed the lyrics, but LL didn't, which infuriated Cannabis and started their beef. So Cannabis clapped back at LL, criticizing him for being an old rapper for ladies and not being street enough. And he released a song called Second Round Knockout that featured Mike Tyson on the track and in the video. And at that time, Mike Tyson was a pretty powerful figure in pop culture. Now, you know, LL is not going to sit back and just allow this to happen. He clapped back with the Ripper Strikes Back and famously said, ask Cannabis this, that 99% of his fans don't exist. LL also took shots at him for being homeless. The good news is they eventually squashed their beef just a few years ago. So let's get to my LL interview. It was September of 2000. I was on vacation and got the call that LL was coming to Philly to do an album release party with the radio station. I got a shout out to my OM, Helen Little. She was like, you need to come back from vacation and do this interview. Plus, I was going to reunite with one of my radioactive partners, Cosmic Kev. So we did LL Radio. I even somehow convinced my morning show producer, Sarah O'Connor, to come in on a Saturday and produce us. This is a really fun interview. So in this interview, you'll hear LL talk about his life and his career, the movies he's done. In fact, he had a sitcom that he had done, a very popular sitcom. And he talks about his beef with Jamie Foxx. A lot of people don't know about this beef. Jamie Foxx and LL were in Any Given Sunday, and LL actually talks about this movie in this interview. There was actually some tension between them as characters, and that tension kind of spilled off privately, and it got a little rough, and basically LL supposedly kind of roughed Jamie Foxx up, and it was really bad blood between them after that. So LL talks about this, talks about the reaction, he talks about Kumo D, he talks about Cannabis, now, keep in mind, at this time, it was 2000, he had been an artist for 15 years. So in this interview, I'd asked a 15-year-old and their parent, who were both fans of LL, to call in and talk with him because he was unlike any other artist at that time. You will also hear him talk about his life and the future movies that were coming. He even mentions the infamous After Midnight Club and his love for Philly. Now, this was the GOAT album. And so in this particular album... LL realized creatively that he was spending too much time in Hollywood. So he talks about going back to Queens, living in his grandmother's basement. His grandmother was in a lot of his videos, and especially Mama Said Knock You Out. 
and his grandma frying chicken. And then he talked about going to the tombs at Rikers Island and meeting with inmates and realizing seeing himself in these inmates. And that was the energy behind the GOAT album. One of my all-time favorite LL songs ever was actually one of his later songs called Ill Bomb, which was on the Funk Flex mixtape album and produced by legendary DJ DJ Scratch. And LL dropped some gems in that song. And in this interview, we will play parts of the song and LL will break down his lyrics. So let's get to this interview. September 16, 2000, days after the release of the GOAT album, LL Cool J. L, today we, we educating cats. We're giving them the old yeah. and we're giving them the new today. Yeah. All right? Yeah. So we, we got to break it down. I had, to, I had to set the show off like, if you like 15s right now, your mom's, when she was knocked up, she was listening <laughs> yeah. to LL Radio. You know what I'm saying? Word I, I mean, you got to look up. at it like that's that. That's real. You know? That's, that's, that's real. the real deal. What's up, Strick? That's real. All right, we, we working on strict, strict Skills Mike real quick. Thank got you, a little, Mike. Got a little feedback. It's ghetto today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. So, L, first of all, welcome back to Philly. Thanks, man. All right? It's been a long time. The GOATs. Yeah. The greatest of all time. All right. What? Yeah. I must admit. You know? I've been waiting for this for a while because you hit me with the L-bomb yeah. a year ago on Flex's album, and, and you just kind of just took the track, which was so hot, and you just, like, did a whole vibe that I never heard from you. Well, I heard from you back in the day, but this is something different. Yeah. And then you just just make us wait a year to the to the album come out. Well, what I wanted to do is I wanted to make a record and an album that was going to be fun, yo. I didn't want to be rushing, trying to make a date or come out with something that was too toned down. Everybody, pardon my voice, a little hoarse. No, you working. On a promotional tour. You making but, movies um, during the week and promoting on the weekend? It's crazy. But sure. I just wanted to make something that was hot. Okay. I didn't want to play. You okay. know what I'm saying? I didn't want to make no records that was like, you know, I didn't want to do nothing corny. All I, right. So I just took my time, went in there, and made it from the heart. Okay. Did it for love. Phenomenon didn't go crazy. Right. I wrote it like a, I think Phenomenon, when I wrote that album, I wrote a book at the same time. Right. While I was writing the album. And I, I was doing a TV show. And I think that affected the, the album. Plus, I had people um, in my ear telling me, you know, tone it down. A lot of people are listening. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I ended up firing all those people, you know, <laughs> you for made that changes. and other, you made for changes. other reasons. Yeah, I made changes That's for good. that and That's other good. reasons. That's important and, um, that you do that, though. Sometimes you have to just cut them off, man. I just, yeah, I just wanted to do hip-hop, man, and do it the real way from the heart. Shout no out question, to Mike, no Mike Kaiser, Kevin Lyles. Philly knows I love him. Straight off the Nightline yeah. joint. Y'all, you was just on Nightline. They did a thing on hip-hop. yeah. They had this Nightline show, and the cat that was setting up the Nightline show, he wasn't really into hip-hop, and he never really heard of you. Yeah. And you was in the car with him, and you just said, you know what? Hold on a second, Holmes. Roll down the window in Midtown Manhattan. Everybody was just pandemonium everywhere. And he was like, I just don't understand. I mean, what, what, who is LL Cool J? So shout out to you for doing that, because these cats would be, be doing these news shows yeah. when they try to do Why hip-hop. Why the chain? Yeah. You know, like, it's like, it's, it's ill. Well, for the record, because I don't know, it's like some hip-hop heads have this strange question they ask me now I guess because of how long I've been doing this mm-hmm. for the record I wrote all my albums dog I what? Remember, yeah, nah, so come I've on had, man I've I can't people, believe nobody would ask me that I've heard people come up to me and say yo does he do you write all those did he yes every joint alright well period so don't I, wonder no more. Let's be clear. I just want to I want to say say this about well, I want to say two things real quick. First thing is, it seems to me that after watching Into Deep, I had saw all, all of your movies up to this yeah. point. Into Deep, when you played Dwayne Giddens God, yeah. you just kind of and if you haven't seen this movie, y'all need to just get the tape. It's been on Showtime the last week, but you kind of really flipped the script as an actor. You were on some like totally different 
we did, I wasn't used to you seeing you as a rapper like that, yeah. nor as an actor. Yeah. And you kind of really, like, it was so real. Went to a real dark place, you know what I'm saying? But at the same time, that's what acting is. Mm -hmm. See, for me as an actor, it just gives me an opportunity to live a lot of different lives, do a lot of different things, not be, you know the same person over and over again, day in and day out. It gives me an education. Like, one minute I'm diving off the coast of Mexico with sharks. The next minute I'm riding trial Michael motorcycles up and down mountains. Right. The next minute I'm a crime lord. Right. In a, in a project. In a, right. Uh, you know, the, the next thing, I'm, you know, it's, I just get to do so many different things mm -hmm. and live so many different lives and that's real fulfilling mm -hmm. as a human being. Okay, you know now, what I'm saying? Now, answer this. You the GOAT, the greatest of all time. It takes a lot for any MC to proclaim that he's the greatest of all time. And I was reading um, your article in Vibe, and right. Kumo D kind of like took a snap, another stab at you. And I'm like, whoa, he was never hot like that from the door. <laughs> and I mean, you handled him back in the day, and it's no diss to uh -huh. him, but he wasn't hot. None of them cats was hot. So I still like I him I mean, now. I know, but why he talking about he proud of you like you his son? What's that about? Well, I still like him now. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm saying is you the GOAT. But, but, but I still like him now. <laughs> I'm too hoarse to do it the right way. If I could put some voice on it right now, we'd be off the chain. Oh, God. Oh, man. Anyway, the way I feel about it is this. Everybody has a right to their own opinion. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the beauty of hip-hop and the beauty of anything, whether it's basketball, football, sports, boxing. People always debate who's the greatest because everybody right. has their favorites and who they like. Right. I can accept that. Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with it. Mm -hmm. I have a lot. I have supreme respect for all of the rapper artists that came before me that respect me. I respect them. And um, I just, you know, for me, to be great, you got to strive for greatness. Like, you... Murdering Philly right now. You got to strive for that. You have to envision that. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, why not believe in yourself? Okay. Why not shoot for the stars? You know what I'm saying? Why not say, why, say how you feel? You know, though. What should I name it? LL right. Cool J, the pretty good rapper. <laughs> would that would that would that make people feel more comfortable? Would they feel better? You know, should I name it? You know, I'm okay at hip hop. <laughs> would everybody feel comfortable then? Uh. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Nelson Mandela said a funny thing. Mm -hmm. He said it doesn't serve anybody any justice to pretend to be small just to um, make somebody who's insecure feel comfortable. Wow. You know what I'm saying? That's deep. He said, people aren't afraid to fail. They're afraid to succeed. Okay. They're afraid to shine. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Right. Scared. LL Cool J. You know what I mean? The so GOAT. So we just, you know, for me, I just, I strive for the best. I have the courage to stand out here amongst all these hip hoppers. Yes. Okay. In the middle of this whole industry. Right. Yes. Okay. Yes, I'll go there. Okay. You all know right. what I'm saying? Well, yes. Well, you are the only rapper with the exception of maybe KRS-One who hasn't been out in a few years. Who my that, love. That who's, that has longevity. Nobody has longevity in this game. KRS is my man. I love what he does. He does his thing well. You know what okay. I'm saying? Well, you Bottom and him are the only two cats that can put albums out now that put albums out in the in the, in the beginning heydays of hip-hop and still can be hot. Yeah. Because cats try to put albums out and it's not hot, but you still have It can kinda, get ugly. Yeah, it can, it can, get, get, it can and, get very and, ugly. <laughs> It can get it can get so ugly that it's like it, it ruins everything you've established up until that point. See that see that's a whole thing. That's another thing with me too. All of that, you know, like crawling on a record with 15 people who sound way better than me and they gave me lines to say right. and they're holding me up like I'm like a dead body right. over in the corner propping me up with a gold chain on. That's out. Okay. If I don't if I don't feel the motivation and if I don't feel like this is something I love to do and if I don't feel like I'm right and if people aren't accepting it, mm -hmm. if people are saying, yo, B, relax. 
Okay. And, and, I'm, and I know it's true. It's right. valid. Right. I'm going to leave it alone. I was telling <laughs> L, I was saying, L, me and you were exactly the same age. I started when I was, you started rapping when you was like 15, 16. I yep. started on radio when I was 17. Yep. So we've been doing it for a long time. No and, question. And I've I just always been a fan. And Kev, too, you know, we, we all around the same age. And we've just been, like, just digging the fact that you still hot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's hard to have longevity in hip-hop. I love hip-hop, man. Yo, yo, I love hip-hop. When I see kids, you know, cats come up to me and they be spitting. I listen. You know what I'm saying? And I know how they feel. And, I, you know, <clears throat> the roughest part about it is I can't help everybody. Right. But I really love the music, the culture, and I love my people. Okay. See, that's another thing. See, okay. it was important to me, if you really listen to this album also, that I embrace the fact that I'm African-American. Okay. Not, not to be bitter or angry, because I love all people. Okay. Don't get it twisted. Okay. But it was important to me to embrace my community and let them know, talk about some issues on the album that are socially relevant, not just, you know, me or chicks, but some other things. You okay. know what I mean? Socially relevant issues that touch us, like homicide, like mothers losing babies in the street and mm-hmm. losing sons and... Mm-hmm. Just the materialism that exists in the world. Okay. You know what I mean? And we're all guilty of these things. Right. I mean, you can't right. find perfection in an imperfect world, but right. it was just, you know, it's real for me, you know? Well, you also I love what I'm doing. Are, uh, you also make a lot of statements about hip-hop, the state of hip-hop right now. You you address these cats out here, yeah. these so-called cats that's doing their thing, and, and me and you were talking off the air about longevity and, and just thinking for the long term instead of thinking of the short term and how much money I can make and how... I can bastardize myself, you know what I'm saying, on wax. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, to make money, can, and then you yeah. outie. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. But you've been, been able to, like, you know, stay strong and keep doing your thing and reinvent yourself. And I was um, reading that, you know, while I was telling you about Into Deep and, and where you went to do that movie, but you also flew back to New York, went to, to Rikers Island for a week yeah. and, and to the tombs yeah. and just rap with cats. Yo, tell everybody about that. Well, what I did was I went originally over there just to, um, you know, just to inspire people and just to, you know, hopefully, you know, spread some sort of encouragement, some sort of positive message there. But what ended up happening is I found that I was being inspired as well. Right. Because when you, I looked around, everybody I looked at looked just like me. Right. And that was deep. And it made me, it was real humbling. Mm-hmm. It made me, like, look down at my sneakers, look at my, my jewelry, look at my car outside, look at my face look at everything and say, you know what? I have a lot to be grateful for. Thankful, hmm. no doubt. So, so, you know, if I don't go out here and make the best record I can, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not being real. Right. Like, in a strange way, it's almost like I owe the people a real good album. Oh, no doubt. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to making something that's cool, right. that, that does okay, and it has right. a couple of records. Like, Phenomenon was yeah. like, a, you know, yeah, was you was okay. just putting something out. Yeah, but I owe them a real... You know what I mean? Something they can right. really say. Damn. And you shot a certain cats out in there. So I know to them, yeah. that was just like, because ca- you were saying them cats was in the hole. Them cats is doing life. You yeah. know, and he, you you out, you able to make records. And yeah. it, it made you, it made the song, it made the, the music just, and you went to your grandma's house too? Yeah. Uh, to, to write? Went to my grandmother's and wrote. Um, went in the basement, vibed, fried chicken. Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? What's Ice that like? Because you've been in Hollywood, man. You movies, television, and Cali living is 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 totally different than Farmer's Boulevard in Queens. Oh, whoa. You know? Whoa. I'm saying. That's where you're from. Yeah, it so, is. So when you spend all those years and doing TV shows and movies and whatnot, you can become jaded to the real world because yeah, I, I, I don't really like Cali. I don't, I don't like it well, when me, I go out there. One thing I, I never did, for that vibe. I never allowed myself to become the boy in a plastic bubble no mm-hmm. matter what. Mm-hmm. And I always go home anyway. Mm-hmm. But 
this time I stayed home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I moved home. Mm-hmm. And just being in New York, being home, running around, yeah, I got to sign autographs, and I got to, it's hard to get four blocks. Right. But, but at the same time, I'm touching my people. Okay. I'm seeing my people. <laughs> my people are seeing me. Mm-hmm. There it is. Yeah. All right, and now I just want to address this issue because, um... What's going on between you and um, Jamie Foxx? Now, I had a chance to talk to Jamie Foxx a few weeks ago at his press mm-hmm. junket for bait. Right. And he kind of didn't really want to talk about it. I was the only, um, I was the only brother. <laughs> I was the only brother amongst the press people. This Word. was like some real hoardy-tordy yeah, stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I was the only brother there. So I was like, yo, what's up with you and, and L, whatever? And he was like, um, I don't really want to discuss that. But then I watched Chris Rock the other day, and he recited your rhyme that you said about Chris Rock and him. Yeah. And, and a lot of yeah. people don't know what's going on. You guys did Any Given Sunday together, which was a great movie, by the way. Thanks. You props. He was a hell of a wide receiver in that joint. No, no I, was, I, was, <laughs> I was a running, I'm running back. back. I'm sorry. A running back. Right. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. It's real simple. It's, it's you know, it's so funny to talk about this. We got into a fight, B. Right. In the movie, had, it was we, a scene, right? We had a scene, and we were, the scene was we were arguing, okay. right? Um. So, mind you, we had did some jokes and snapped on each other another day. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if he was feeling real uncomfortable, really comfortable with it. We was cracking jokes or whatever. So okay. we had the scene and uh, we were arguing, going back and forth. He felt like I was being rough, I guess. You know what I'm saying? I well, thought you, I was you, just, you knocked him out pretty No, 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 no. No, I was just being in the moment. Uh-huh. We were pushing back and forth. Right. So during the scene, he like said something to me and I was like, oh yeah, I see. He threw his hands up a little. I said, oh, he wants to play. This is what I'm thinking in my mind. Right, right. So, in a good way. So I like, you know, I smacked his helmet a couple of times. Like, right. tat, tat, tat. Right. Like, you know, I guess he wants to make it real. Right. So he got upset. Said, he said, oh, that's how you want it? <laughs> and me in the lip. Right? He hit me in the lip. For real? So, so I stopped and I said, what's the matter with you? Now, you know, you hear somebody in the lip. And they say, yo, what's the matter with you, dog? You got serious. <laughs> you got you. You the on him. <laughs> I said, what's the matter with so you? The girl cha- your girl changed. So, so... He said, yo, this and that. I mean, I don't want to go all the way through it. But basically what no, I ahead, was, my it. man said, he said to me, yo, um, look, I told you, after, afterward, because my trainer told me, yo, chill out, don't do nothing, don't do nothing, chill out. I said, all right, I'm going to relax. And I would have sucked it up. And my man would have said, yo, I got a little carried away. I would have sucked it up. But he said to me, I said, yo, that was uncalled for, dog, in between takes. Right. He said, man, I told you yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to hit me, you let me know. That's all to it, Period. On that note, ladies okay. and gentlemen. Uh-huh. So you said I'm going to hit you right now? B, come on, man. <laughs> period. A grown man. Period. Yo, everybody right now, every real dude out there right now, real cats looking at the radio like, period is a lot, B. And he punched me. Period. Right. right. And he punched you. Period. Right. So we, we scrapped or whatever. That's cool. Ain't no issues. And But at the end of the day, it's no love like loss. In other words, like, I don't want to degrade my man. I'm not interested in playing him out. If I see him, it's not going to be a problem. Like, you know, if I come walking down, you know, the mall and he's on the other end, I don't need people to go, ooh, right, right, what's right, coming? Right, like, right, it's about, you know. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It ain't going to go down. Right. I love the guy. You know what I'm saying? In terms of what he's doing in his career. And it's all good. And I would never degrade him. I think people should definitely check out his movies, you know, and love him. You know, it's all good. Okay. And I, and I see no reason to degrade his character. What I said on the record is just hip-hop. Right. He just left because I heard he was doing some jokes about on, me. On Chris so Rock, I, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I figured I'd just go on and light him up a little bit. Okay. Let him have it and keep it moving. Okay. And he can snap some jokes. He can talk about me licking my lips, right. ball head, right. whatever. Right. Whatever, dog. Well, he tried to say that you was jealous of his part in the movie. <laughs> That's what he said. That's what he said. Like, you was feeling some type of way about him having that role and you wanted that role. 
But you wouldn't, you couldn't play the quarterback. You wasn't. You, that's you. The, the, the role that you had was perfect for what you did in I, that movie. I think. Um, I think I'm very comfortable with and my you, career. You really can rap anyway. So I, I'm very comfortable with my career, all and right. um, I won't be jealous of Jamie Foxx anytime soon. <laughs> so it's all good. All right, you let's know go to the phones. Talk to our people. It's a deal. Hey, China and, Chi- and China. Tanya. Tanya and Krishana. Okay, yes. I'm sorry. Y'all are parent and daughter. Yes. And you both like LL. Yes. And he is right here. Holla at him. Hi, LL. What's up? What's up? How what's you doing? Everything is good. It's Tanya. We one of your biggest fans. Thank you. Yes. Trishana, say hi. How you doing? I'm good. I'm so, good. So, Ma, how old are you, Ma? I'm 28. And so you remember back in the day you was down with L. Yes. Okay. And, and how old are you, China? I mean, uh, Ta- Trishana. I'm sorry. You're 10? Yes. Okay, so did your mom tell you about, like, how LL was, like, back in the day before you were born? Yes. Okay, because L was just out, like, five years before you was born, he was out. Yep. Uh, hello? Hello. Yeah. So you doing good in school, though? Yes. All right, that's good. You ever see in the house? Yes. That's good. And I want your mommy to let you hear certain records on the album, right? Yes. <laughs> all right. Y'all take care. A lot of love, all right? All right. All right. Hey, hey, Ma, what's, put your mom back on the phone. Yeah, I go. I'm on the phone. All right, I'll tell you what. We're in a good mood today. I have, like, a whole catalog of all of Elle's albums. I'm going to lace you up with that right now. Oh, my God. I'm talking about radio. I'm talking about Bigger Than Death. I'm talking about Panther. I'm talking about, um... The Mama, 14 shots Mama, to the dome. Oh 14 shots. Mama said knock you out. Mrs. Smith, phenomenon. We're going to hook you up, all right, Ma? Thank you. Well, there you go. As you can see, I'm a huge LL fan. Thank you for listening to the Backstory Podcast. Let me know what you think on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BackstoryPCC. And, of course, personally, you can get at me on Twitter at Kobe Kolb. Log on to our Patreon page for the Backstory Bonus. On the next episode of the Backstory Podcast, Run DMC. I remember we made us like that, and nobody liked it. Nobody, except some club DJs who had good sense, could hear something that sounded totally different from everything else. And Rockbox. But wait a minute, let me finish, Rev. And then the B-side, Suck MC, they want to know where the bass line is. And then when we made Jam Master J, the loud scratching in the South Bronx and the disco fever where all the rappers hung out, it was so loud, Sweet G spilled his coke.